Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Tom here. The sermon you're about to listen to is the last sermon in the Acceptable Idols series. Unfortunately, there are a few technical difficulties in recording this sermon, so what you're going to hear is a recording from the computer in the sound desk in our church. This means that you'll hear a bit of typing, some mouse clicking, and the computer operator from time to time as they prepare the questions that are being texted in for the Q&A. Think of it as a behind-the-scenes listen into what goes on in the sound desk, which I'm sure you've always wanted to hear. You can still hear the sermon, it's just not the greatest recording in the world. Anyway, hope you enjoy the sermon. After this one, we're going to have two weeks of older sermons before we jump into the new series, which I'm preaching called Do You Even Church? Have fun! So there's this thing uh, that security experts call a perfect security. I heard about this on a podcast which I like to listen to called 99 invisible, and you should go listen to it if you like podcasts about design. It's especially good because it's an audio podcast about design, which is like, how does that work? But it turns out it works. And uh, there was this one episode which was all about locks, and they're talking about perfect security is this time uh, when you can put something under lock and key, and uh, you can be sure that no one is going to be able to pick that lock and get your stuff. It is perfectly secure. It's perfect security, and perfect security has not existed in the world very much. For a long time, people have been locking things up and trying to keep them safe. For thousands of years, people have been doing this, and for the same thousands of years, people have been picking those locks and trying to get stuff out of it. Uh, And so everyone has always wanted perfect security, and then there was this one short period of time uh, from about 1770 where there was perfect security in the world. There was a guy whose name uh, was Joseph Brahma, and he is the guy who invented the flushing toilet, so we all owe him a lot. And he also uh, invented not just the flushing toilet, he also invented this uh, lock, which he thought was pretty much unbeatable. And uh, he designed the lock and put it into a padlock, and he was so sure that his lock was unbreakable uh, that he put the padlock in the window of his shop in London, and he put a note on it saying, anyone who can pick this lock, I will give 200 guineas to. And that's not little animals, that's 200 guineas, which is a form of money, and I don't really understand it. But as far as I know, 200 guineas in today's money is worth about 40,000 Australian dollars. So that's quite a lot of money. He was so, that's how sure he was that people couldn't pick his locks. And uh, this lock sat in the window of his store uh, for about 70 years. It just sat there, people tried it, uh, no one could get through his lock. And then in 1851, there was a guy called A.C. Hobbs, and he was a professional lock picker. He would go around to banks and pick their locks and then say, oh, your security's terrible, buy my locks. And so they were like, okay, sure thing. And so they'd buy his locks and he'd make some money. And he came over to England uh, from the States to uh, go to this conference, and he found this lock from Chubb, which they asked him to pick, which they thought was unbreakable, and he managed to do it in less than half an hour. And so they were probably a bit disappointed about that. And then he went on and he saw this famous lock uh, at the, the Brahma store. And the Brahma store was being run by Joseph Brahma's sons by this day. And he's like, I want to pick this lock. And they said, sure thing, have a go. Uh, we'll give you some space to do it. You can, you can live above our shop for the next 30 days and you can pick the lock, do your very best uh, and see what you get done. And so he got, got to work. Uh, and after about 52 hours work over those course of about 14 days, he managed to pick that lock. And at that point, suddenly, perfect security disappeared, and the world has never been able to get it back. This one guy managed to create it, and then another guy managed to destroy it, and now no one trusts locks. 
And that uh, is all because of, you know, this. There is no perfect security. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because perfect security is something which uh, all of us, to some degree, probably strive after. We all want perfect security in our lives. It's not just perfect security for our, our locked-up things. It's security for um, our you know, our money, our livelihood, and all sorts of different things. And uh, we want this because we know that life doesn't go the way we want it to go. And we know that you know, things can go wrong and we want to be prepared for things. Uh, we know that you can get sick or you can lose your job or that you know, there can be a, a, an economic disaster. All sorts of things can go wrong. And so we all like to prepare some of us more than others. Some of us want to prepare so much, be so prepared that we have the outcome completely under control, that we know that if anything happens, we will be fine. And if we are people who love being secure and are so sure that security uh, is in our hands, that you know, we work at that more than we work at loving God, then financial security is our idol. And financial security is a hard one to identify, and it's, it's one that's pretty acceptable within the church. So we all are able to identify, well, maybe not all of us, but many of us are probably able to identify and, and like to pick on people for uh, their materialist, materialisticness and for their, their conspicuous wealth. And when, when, if you're like me, when you see someone driving a nicer car than you, you look at them and you're like, you're a Christian. Why are you driving such a nice car? <laughs> or someone wearing nice clothes and like, I know those clothes cost a lot of money. Why are you spending that much money on clothes? That's not on. Or you like, look at the house and think, you're living in a big house. That's a very big house. That's too big for a Christian. You should be housing <laughs> some people in this house, not just you and your, and your 200 guinea pigs. Um, so, so, you know, we look at, we look at conspicuous wealth, conspicuous consumption, and, and we judge people for that, for that greed. But when we look at people who love financial security, uh, we, we look at that and we go, that's great, that's so good. They're saving, they're investing, they're being fiscally uh, responsible, they're being, you know, they're being people who look after what God has given them. They're, they're good stewards. That's how we see things. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to identify that, that maybe just as much there is greed involved in the, the, the amassing and spending of wealth, there is also greed involved in the amassing and holding on to of wealth. And it all comes from this idea uh, that you know, things can go wrong. We want to be ready for it. And so if we're the type of person who idolizes financial security, we, we make sure that we have a good amount of savings put away in case something goes wrong. We make sure we have all the right kinds of insurance. We make sure we have enough superannuation. We make sure that we've you know, paid off our house and we're paying off our investment property and we're doing all of these things to make sure that we have enough. And if we don't have, you know, if we don't have the investment properties and all that, maybe we're working towards it because we know that, you know, the amount that we have is, is not enough. We want to be ready because things go wrong in this world. You might get sick. You might lose your job. Things might go wrong. You want to be prepared because you know that you cannot control the future. And the thing is that as you spend time, you know, building up your wealth, making sure that you are safe, uh, there is a problem with all this. And the problem is that however much you have, it's never going to be enough. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The problem is however much you have, it's always going to be at risk. 
Jesus is saying that you may have a really good amount of money put away, ready for anything to go wrong. You may have enough superannuation, and you may you know, be paying off your house really, really well, uh, but still things can go wrong. Still, you know, the, the housing bubble can burst, and your $500,000 house is now only worth $150,000, you've still got $300,000 left to pay on your house. There's a problem with that. Maybe that there's another global financial crisis, and all your investments in, in companies, they all just drop, and your superannuation disappears, or maybe there's huge amounts of inflation, and all your savings are gone. You know, we don't have, you know, moss and vermin breaking in and eating our savings, but we do have plenty of things that can have a go at them. And so the response of someone who worships financial security, who loves financial security, when they hear this, they go, this is a problem. I need to get more money. I need to be more secure. I need to make sure I do more to mitigate against these problems. I need to do more to make sure that I am safe, that I control the outcome of my life. And the problem is that you are saying that you will trust money and you will trust uh, insurance and you'll trust superannuation and you'll trust your investments and you will trust yourself more than you will trust God. You are trusting money to save you instead of the God who already had Jesus tells us that the other response that you can have when you see that this world is not a safe world, that this world is not a world that will go the way you want it to, the other response you can have is to invest yourselves in the kingdom. He says this, uh, instead of storing up treasure on earth, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Have you ever heard of a robbery in heaven? You haven't. Partly because we don't know where it is. And so, you know, if we can break that time-space barrier, maybe we can try and break in, but we can't. There is, there, there is perfect security in heaven. Everything is safe in heaven. And we know that we can have perfect security if in nothing else, it's in Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he is the one who has come to bring us life. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for us so that we can be forgiven and set free from our sins, to be set free from death, so that we can rise again like him and live forever. That even if the worst thing happens to you, that you die, you will still be safe with Jesus in heaven. That is a treasure that cannot be taken away from you. And more than that, Jesus says that it's not just, you know, it's not just about his death and resurrection that secures you, that you can have treasure in heaven greater or probably in addition to that. And people are like, well, what are these, you know, treasures in heaven that Jesus is talking about? Well, it seems to be that there's um, the treasures of having divine uh, uh, gratitude. So you can turn up in heaven and God can say to you and see the good things you've done and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus sees the way that you've loved people, sees the way that you've been kind, sees the way that you've been obedient and you turn up in heaven and, and, and Jesus says to you, well done. And the other thing that Claire was talking about last week is that if you invest instead in the kingdom of heaven instead of making yourself secure, if you invest in helping people meet Jesus, that those people they're secure in heaven too. And they'll be able to come up to me and say, hey, I'm here because of you. And that's a treasure in heaven. That's a greater treasure than any treasure we can store up on earth. And it's more secure than anything we can have on earth. So Jesus is saying, where are you going to invest yourself? Where are you going to put your wealth? Where are you going to put your time? Are you going to put it in keeping yourself secure? 
Or are you going to put it in building God's kingdom? So the question is then, well, how do you, how do you know if you idolize financial security? How do you know if this is your idol? If you love to be in control, if you love to keep yourself safe. Well, this is what Jesus tells us in verse 21, if you have a look. It says, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. Which I think is a really interesting uh, phrase. I would expect Jesus to say, where your heart is, that's your treasure. Meaning, like, whatever you care for, whatever you feel affectionate towards, whatever you love, that's your treasure. So look after it and care for it. So if you really, really love your family, if you feel a lot of you know, affection for your family, well, they're your treasure. Love, love them, look after them, and, and cherish them. Or if you feel a lot of affection you know, for, for, your, for your pets, well, then look after your pets, because they're your treasure. Care for them, hold on to them, keep them close. But Jesus isn't saying that. We think that our treasure is what we feel most affectionate towards, but Jesus is saying... Our heart is actually where our treasure is. It's not about your feelings. It's about your investments. It's not about how you, how you respond to things and what happens to you in your stomach when you see something that you love. It's about where you invest yourself, where you put your time, where you put your energy, and particularly where you put your money. So if you spend your time and your energy and particularly your money put all your treasure into keeping yourself safe, into keeping your family safe, into preparing yourself for the future, whatever may come, into mitigating against any bad circumstance that may happen to you, then maybe you are someone who is worshipping financial security. Maybe that is your idol, because you are investing yourself in, in, in keeping yourself safe. It's the, the person who you know, says that they love their family with everything they've got, and that the most important thing to them is their family, but then they spend their whole time at work, you know, working long hours, trying to get their, you know, please their boss, or, or get their, you know, keep their career going, or get that uh, promotion at work. There's a, there's a disconnect there. What they feel is not where their treasure is. Their treasure is found elsewhere. Or it's the person who says they really, really love God. And they feel so much affection towards God, except when it comes time to give and when they're asked to give, they decide that actually they need the money more than you. And so they don't give it to the church and they don't give it to, uh, to mission, they don't give it to the poor, they just keep it for themselves. There's a disconnect there. Their treasure is not with God, their treasure is somewhere else. Their treasure is with themselves, looking after themselves. So you've got to think to yourself, what am I investing in? What do I put my money into, my wealth into? What am I worshipping? Your treasure should be with God. That's what we should be investing in. The next thing that Jesus says in the passage is this really weird thing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this, is a, this took me a while to try and figure this out. I still don't think I've completely got it. But Jesus is telling us partly how we, how we, sorry, what happens to us if we have our affections in the wrong place, if we have our ambition in the wrong place, if we are pursuing financial security or treasure more than we are pursuing God. 
Because if we do that, what he's saying is, whatever you're looking towards, whatever you're ambitious for, whatever you're striving for, it doesn't just affect your vision, it affects your whole life, it affects your whole body, it affects everything within you. And so make sure you are striving for, that you are ambitious for the best thing. Because what you aim for, what you look for, what you are looking at in the future, that affects everything. Uh, I brought with me here uh, an empty bottle of Coke. I know that, you know, I started my sermon series with talking about Coke, and now I will end this series talking about Coke. And the reason why I brought this in is because I discovered uh, a while ago that inside our Coke labels, if you uh, take it off, you see that there is a code on the, on the back here. You ready? Who's discovered the code on the back? Kenny's discovered the code. That's excellent. Uh, if you see on the back here, you've got this code of letters, and, uh, and it's called Coke Rewards Points. And I looked this up one time online. I thought I'd put in some Coke Rewards Points, and I, I went to the website, and I put in the, all these letters. And then when I put them in, I said, you have 10 Coke Rewards Points. I'm like, yes, 10 Coke Rewards Points. I'm doing really <laughs> well. And then I looked at what I could get with my 10 Coke Rewards Points, and I could get a uh, Coca-Cola wallpaper for my phone. I'm like, you're sending me an image for free to advertise your company for 10 rewards points. That's not very good. I'm not that interested. But then I scrolled through the catalog and I saw that at the end of the catalog, the most expensive thing was a Sony H uh, Blu-ray 3D home theater system for 8,000 Coke rewards points. I was like, oh, that is nice. I would not mind a home theater system and so what I started doing is I started collecting these labels. Uh, I was like the, one of those kids who you know, goes around taking the labels off everyone's bottles and people would be like, Tom, do you want a label? I'm like, yes. And I'd put them in my pocket and I'd take them home and, and then I'd sit down and I'd enter my labels at the computer. I could only enter 10 a week. And so I did the calculations and I realized that all I had to do was enter 10 a week for the next 80 weeks. And then finally, I would have this home theater system. Like, that would be great. And I'm like, it's less than two years of my life on the Coke website, doing the advertising stuff. It'll be fine, I will get this home theater system. It was so exciting. And so I would do that every week, and then, because I, I, I would get more than 10 labels a week, then my pocket would fill up with labels, and my wallet would fill up with labels, and I had labels. <laughs> I love labels, they're super excellent. Labels, and uh, I had a, uh, a drawer at my house, which was full of Coke labels, and, and then there was Coke labels all through my bedroom. There was Coke labels everywhere, and I couldn't enter them fast enough in my life. It's just getting full of rubbish. Because this is really, it's just rubbish. I was collecting rubbish. Because I thought that if I collected enough rubbish, then I would get myself a home theater system. And then some weeks I'd forget to enter them. And then you know, it would take a bit longer. And eventually it blew out till about like three years. And probably it was going to be like four years. I was going to divide masses of my life to this collection of rubbish so I could get myself this theater system. And it was stupid. And my whole life became about this. Well, not my whole life. A lot of my life became about this. That my ambition was to get this, this thing. So I was collecting rubbish, and, and it changed what I was doing. Changed my behavior. Changed my values. I was valuing just stuff you should be throwing out. And what Jesus is saying here is what your ambition is, what you are aiming for, will change your life. And so you make sure you are aiming for good things. Don't collect rubbish. Rubbish is worthless. Even if at the end of the day you think the reward you will get from rubbish is great, the reward you get, that'll probably turn out to be rubbish too. 
If you aim for useless things, then you will live a useless life. If you aim for darkness, then your life will be full of darkness. So what should your ambition be? Make sure it's a big ambition. If your ambition is just to be financially secure, if your ambition is just to be that you look after yourself, that you look after your family, that you make sure that you are going to be okay in hard times, if that is all you have, then your ambition is too small. Your goal is too small. What you're aiming for is too small. Instead, Jesus calls us to aim for something greater. So it's worthy of a child of God. He calls us to be people who change the world. People who love Him, love our neighbors, who tell other people about Him so that people are saved. That's, that's what the whole universe is about. That's what God has called us to. That is an ambition worthy of us. So we keep our eyes on that. We fix our eyes on pursuing the kingdom. We make that what our life be about so that our whole life will be full of life full of light, that it transforms who we are because we are pursuing Jesus and what he calls us to. That's what we need to be about. And then it means that your money is then not about you, it's about the kingdom. And your investments are not about you, they're about the kingdom. And your house is not about you, it's about the kingdom. And whatever you're planning to do with your career is not about you, it's about the kingdom. And you make your decisions with a kingdom mindset about seeing people saved, about seeing God glorified, and about seeing the world loved. That's how you make your plans and decisions. And that will then guide you towards a life that is full of light. The question is, what are you aiming for? The last bit that it says in this passage, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Jesus is saying here, you have to choose your God. Will you worship God or will you worship money? And some of us probably when you read this, you're like, you know what, I think I can serve two masters. I know, I've got a part-time job. I've got two part-time jobs. I work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in one job, and I work Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes on Saturdays another job, and then I have Sundays free. I can have two masters, that's fine. I can do it. But Jesus here isn't talking about employers, he isn't talking about, he's talking about masters, he's talking about slaves and their owners. That's what he's talking about. And you cannot, when you're a slave, you cannot be owned by two people because you are wholly owned. And Jesus is not, you know, saying slavery is okay, he's just, you know, using slavery as an illustration. And what he's saying here that either you, your life will be completely for God, or your life will be completely for money. Your life will be completely about finding your security in God, or your life will be about searching for your security in something else. So which God are you going to pick? Because these gods both want everything. And you may choose. You may be like, yeah, I can serve both. I will serve God on Sundays and whenever I volunteer with church stuff, and I'll serve money when I spend the rest of the week working for God. Sorry, working, working for money, but getting enough money. And as you do that, though, the problem is that there's money. You'll never have enough. You'll never be secure enough. You'll never be safe enough. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not very good at being financially secure, but I've improved. And so, you know, I, I have my bank account, which is there for the rainy day, it's the rainy day fund. And I, when I put money in there, I have this goal of how much money I want. And I, you know, and then one day I reached that goal. I was like, I looked at it. That's so small. 
I need more. I better make my goal bigger. And so I expand my goal, and then when I look at my rating data, it looks like there's still not enough there. I need more. I need to be more secure. Money will never be enough. You will never be secure enough because there's always more dangers out there. There are always more things that can, you know, affect your life. Always more things uh, that can cause problems and disasters for you. You will never have enough. You will just keep working to satisfy money. Or you can choose God. And God will never have enough until he has all of you. And so God will just keep looking for things which you are not giving over to him and say, that's mine, give it to me. That's mine, give it to me. That, that, that savings account, that one's my one. And that job you've got, that's mine. And your family, that's mine. Your kids, they're mine. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they're mine. Everything of yours is mine, and so make it all about me. Which God are you going to trust? Are you going to put your hope in money to save you? Or are you going to put your hope in the God who already has? So the last question that I guess we need to ask is, well, if we worship financial security, or if we find that we are worshiping money, how do we break that hold? How do we choose God instead of money? And I want you to look back at your Bibles because in the next section, Jesus tells us exactly how we do that. This is from verse 25 in Matthew chapter 6. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you with little things? And so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. Of its own. And Jesus is saying that if you want to break the power of financial security in your life, if you want to break the power of worshipping money in your life, then your job is to choose to trust God. To choose that you will not worry about the future. You will not worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear, but instead you will focus on something greater. Jesus calls us to have an ambition that is greater than ourselves, greater than our own security. Uh, this, uh, this is what he says here at the end. Uh, instead of you know, worrying about uh, what you eat or drink or what you wear, he says this, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, if you look after God's things, God's going to look after you. God's going to care for you. You seek God first, and he'll, he will look after you. Uh, who here likes motor racing? Few of you could, because I'm going to talk about it, and I know nothing about it, so you'll know what I've said wrong. And what happens, what I know about motor racing is people get into cars, and they drive fast. And sometimes they drive fast in a circle, and sometimes they drive fast in a line, and they'll go from one place to another. That's one, some of the things that happen. 
And, uh, and there's one person whose job it is to drive that car very, very fast. And they drive and drive and drive and drive. And then sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll need to change their tires or sometimes, you know, they need more petrol. Or sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll mess up a bit of their car and it needs to be reattached. I don't exactly know how it works. But when your car has a problem with your car, the driver will then drive along and they'll drive into the pits. And there is their pit crew. And the pit crew will run out and they'll jack up the car and then they'll use those, those drills and then they'll, they'll all change the wheels and they'll, uh, and they'll, they'll put petrol in the car and they'll fix whatever needs to be what's broken and they can fix quickly. And then they'll, they'll send the car on its way and then the driver will drive off and, and do more driving around in a circle. And everyone goes, hey, it's very exciting. Now, the thing is, if the driver, if the driver was their own pit crew, then the, the driver would be like, oh man, I need petrol. In to the, to the BP and you know, put the petrol in, and then they'd you know, have to go and pay. And then they'd be like, Oh man, I need your tires. And then they'd be like, Taking up the car, and then they'd have to change the tires. It'd be very slow and very annoying. And instead of being focused on just winning the race, they would have to focus on all these little things just to keep the car going. And But they don't have to do that because there's other people who are looking after it for them. What Jesus is saying here is that if you are going to focus on God's kingdom first, then God will make sure that he's looking after you. God will be your pit crew, which, which seems a bit crazy that God would just choose to do this, but he chooses to. He chooses to care for us. And that doesn't exactly mean that everything that could go wrong won't go wrong, that we'll have the easiest life ever, but that God is going to be looking after us. We put him first and he will care for us. He will look after us so we don't have to worry. The unknown future that you were worried about, the perfect security that you were striving after, you don't need to anymore. Because God's got your back. God is your pit crew. Seek first his kingdom. And then the second thing that Jesus tells us that we need to do, and this is the, the last thing, as he says that we need to focus on God's provisional character. He says, he says look at the birds of the air. Look how they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You know, the birds, if, I don't know if you spend much time watching birds, um, they tend to look after themselves. They don't worry. You don't just have a lot of birds walking around going, oh, I'm really concerned. Yeah. Oh, what am I going to eat tomorrow? I've got some friends coming over. I have to bake something. You know, I don't know what it's going to be. What am I going to do? And, you, know, you don't see birds, you know, you know, stocking up their pantry and going, oh, look, the seeds on special. I'll get a lot of the seeds. Okay, the birds just go around and they just eat stuff and find worms and eat it and be birds. And they just fly around and be annoying early in the morning. That's birds. And, and God looks after the birds. And, and if God's going to look after the birds, then of course he's going to look after us. But birds are, you know, they're active in their, their work to, to look after themselves. So then Jesus tells us about something else. He talks about flowers. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. You know, I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed, well, not even Solomon, yeah, he's dressed like one of these. You've got a flower, the flower doesn't have to do anything. The flower just grows and then it sprouts its petals. It's like, look, I'm a flower, I'm awesome. That's all it does, it just sits there and bees a flower and it looks fantastic. And God looks after the flower. If he's willing to look after flowers, which do nothing. They don't work for their beauty at all. They just grow and get it. Then, of course, he's going to look after you. Because, you know, you are more valuable than a flower, more valuable than a bird. 
And in fact, what Jesus doesn't say here, but the Bible tells us, is that Jesus uh, is the sure, sureness of our provision. That if God is willing to come to us in His Son and die for us, He's willing to go through all that to save us, then, then, then why would He forget about you now? Why would He give up His life for you and then just leave you stranded in your own smaller problems than your sin? He won't. He loves you so much that He gave His life for you. And he will hold on to you. The promise isn't that things won't go wrong or that your life will be easy, but the promise is that God will look after you all the way through. So trust in the provisional character of God because he provides. Trust in, in the God who says that he will look after you if you pursue his kingdom first. And make everything you do about his kingdom. Make your money about his kingdom, your savings about his kingdom, your, your friendships and your relationships, and everything about his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. If you are not a Christian, then what this means for you is that you do not have perfect security. And until you trust in Jesus, you will never have perfect security. You can strive after whatever you want. You can strive after money, but you will never have enough. You can strive after friendships, you can strive after relationships, you can strive after comfort, but you will never have enough. Only in Jesus do you find everything you need. Only in Jesus do you have security in the one thing that's going to get all of us. No matter how rich you are, you're going to die. Only in Jesus do you have safety, even in death, that God has you looked after. You need to trust in Him. And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is that you need to look at your life and see what you are investing in. What are you giving yourself to? What are you giving your money to, your time to, your wealth to? What are you saving up for? If it's not the kingdom of God, then your ambition is too small. You need to say that God will be your God and everything else will serve you. Choose your God and choose the God who has saved you in Jesus. Don't trust in money to save you because it Trust in the God who already has saved you, His Son, Jesus. All right, I am going to uh, pray, and then uh, we'll see if anyone asked a question. All right, I'll pray. Uh, dear Jesus, I thank you uh, for you, that you loved us so much, uh, that you didn't store up your wealth for, for yourself, that you did not live in your perfect security, but you came to a dangerous earth, and that you faced the danger of living with us and you were willing to die for us. That you took the worst that we could throw at you so that we could have your best. I pray, Jesus, that we will worship you because of that. I pray, Jesus, that we will repent of the ways that we have tried to be in control. That we have thought that we could save ourselves with our money, with our savings, with our schemes. I pray that we will trust you, Jesus. Because we know that only in you we have perfect security. Amen. Alright, I'm going to give you uh, a little bit of time just to you know, chat to each other. Tell each other what you're doing tomorrow. Or don't. And then I'll bring you back and we'll answer some questions. Okay, let's, uh, let's see what we've got and we'll see how many we get to before we get bored. Alright, should we have insurance then? since we're trusting God rather than financial security. If so, how does that fit with being a good steward of what God has given us? 
I was hoping that people, someone would ask a question like this because they knew that probably I wasn't going to cover everything and so someone would probably ask me, what about the money? What do we do with it? Okay, so the first one, should we have insurance since we're trusting God rather than financial security? Should we, oh, should we not have it? Yeah, sorry, thank you for the clarification. Um, the, should, you can have insurance, that's okay, I have insurance. And I understand what is right and wrong. I'm not. Um, <laughs> but we, we, insurance is fine. Insurance you know, is something that you can use for God's glory. It's, you know, it is good to be a good steward of God's money. I know that I talked before about how you, know, you can look at financial security and people who are you know, idolizing financial security and just say to them, say, oh, look, they're being good stewards. But that doesn't mean that good stewardship is wrong. Good stewardship means that we are using the, what God has given us are for the best purposes, for the honouring and glorification of God. And I think you can glorify God by buying insurance. Because if, you know, if God has given you things to look after, then you should look after them. Because if you have insurance, then if something goes wrong, which Jesus tells us it will go wrong, if something goes wrong, then, you know, the insurance hopefully will pay for it, and then you can get a new house or a new car, or, you know, if you, you know, you die, then you're your husband or wife or whoever is dependent on you, they will have some money to look after them. Insurance is good. Um, but the problem is, if you are trusting your insurance to look after you, because you shouldn't trust your insurance, who is it that keeps you safe? It's God. Insurance can go wrong. You know, people can think that they can make a claim and then they find out they can't because something the insurance doesn't cover. But insurance companies spend a lot of time trying not to cover things. You would know all about that. Oh, that's your job. Too. It's stepping me in So it's okay. It's good to have insurance. But don't trust your insurance. Trust Jesus. And then the second part of the question then. Uh, no, I haven't said that. Yeah, I have. Good. All right. Let's go to the next question. Uh, what is the non-cliché answer to those who legitimately can't afford to give money to the church? Is serving a biblical alternative? Okay, so what is... I guess the question is, you know, what, is, what does it mean that you can't afford to give money to the church? Does it mean that, you know, you have a whole lot of expenses in your life uh, and you decide then that you, you know, after you look at all your expenses, you're like, there's nothing left here for God? Or is it that you actually... You, 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 earn, you have two bucks and you need to spend that on your noodles, which you buy on the way home. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to tell us, particularly in our society where we have, we have money. Uh, Jesus tells the story of the widow who, who puts in and gives all she has. Uh, and, and Jesus says, this woman gave out of her poverty. And, and how much greater is that than those who give out of their wealth? I think here where we are, we generally give out of our wealth. There's very few of us who are poor. Um, very few of us who, even if we don't have a job, don't get somehow looked after by the government. And so I think there's very few of us who, who can't, who we can afford to give to the church. And sometimes when people you know, talk about how much you should give, people talk about a percentage. And I, I don't, you know, some people say, well, maybe 10% is a good percentage because. That's the, what it talks about in the Old Testament, that 10% is a good percentage to give to God. And the thing is, so if you're earning not very much money, then a percentage means that you're not going to give very much money. So if you're earning $100 and you give 10%, then you give $10. You go to the bank. You go to the bank, and there's money in the bank. 
Uh, if you're earning $10,000 and you give 10%, then you give $1,000. The amount that you give changes because it's a percentage, not the amount. Um, so I would, I would say the, the other thing is Jesus, or the Bible says, that if you seek first God's kingdom, then all these things will be given to you. And so one of the things that it talks about in the Old Testament is when you give, you give first. It's your first fruits. You don't give out of your leftovers, you give out of what comes first. And so what I try and do, at least with, with my money, is that when it comes in, that I say, all right, how much did I earn? And the first thing I do is I put that aside, and that gets given away. So that it's the first money that comes in. And when you do that, even if it hurts, and it probably should hurt, if you do that, that is a sign of trust in God. Because when you give money, it's not really about the money, it's about your heart. When you give money, you're saying, God, I can't afford to do this. This hurts me to do this. And I'm giving it because I'm trusting you. And so it's really, I guess I'm, I'm finding, I can't think of many reasons why you wouldn't be able to give money to the church. Um, but if you, if you can think of one, you know, let me know. Uh, but I would challenge you that if you think you can't, try it. And if God doesn't come through for you like he promises in the Bible, well then... <laughs> either God isn't promises aren't true, or you've got to spend more time figuring out exactly if, you know, what you expect God to be doing for you. So is serving a biblical alternative? That's the other one. Sometimes I have heard people say, you know, I don't give money, but I give time. And so that's that's okay. But if your whole life is God's, then you should give money and time. All your money is God's, all your time is God's, everything you own is God's. Just giving your time is not an alternative. Because it's all God's. So give everything you have and figure out how you do that. And it doesn't necessarily have to look at exactly how people say it should look. Um, so the Bible doesn't say exactly how your giving to, to God's kingdom should look. It just says you should do it. It doesn't say how you, your serving exactly should look. It just says you have to do it. So make sure you do it because everything you have is God's. Give it all to Him. All right, let's, let's go to the next one. Is it possible to be foolishly generous what level of financial security is okay? Um, there's something which I read uh, recently by a guy called Tom Wright, or who's also known as M.T. Wright. He's a, um, he's a commentator on Bible issues. Uh, and he was talking about how um, in the New Testament letters, you see that they're taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem faced a famine, and, uh, and so they didn't have enough money. But if you remember from Acts, early in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem was selling all their stuff and giving it to the poor, and uh, and so they, they had a lot less stuff than they started off following Jesus with. And then the, the rest of the church, uh, then when they faced the famine, because they had no stuff, the rest of the church had to take up the flag and give them stuff. Um, now, there is no indication in the Bible, as, as Paul takes up the offering, that the uh, church in Jerusalem was financially irresponsible, uh, but it's interesting that these people gave so much that then they needed to be given to. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm not making a judgment on that other, I just think that's, that's an interesting thing to pay attention to. Um, so can you be foolishly generous? Well, maybe, maybe you can. Um, because God calls us to, to serve with our money, but it doesn't mean that all our money has to, to get given away to, to every good cause all the time. Uh, if I make sure I've got enough money so I can eat, then it's good because I eat and I have energy and I can serve God. If I make sure I have enough money so that I can, you know, if I've got people who are depending on me, that I can 
clothe them and put them in a house because God provides through money, God provides through jobs, then, then that's good. And see, I don't want to give away all my money so I can't look after the people who I'm meant to be looking after. Um, in, in the book of Timothy, it says anyone who doesn't look after their own household is worse than an unbeliever. And so if you give away all your money to other people and you don't have enough for your own household, then you are being financially irresponsible and, and you're being foolishly generous. Um, so what you should be doing is using everything God has provided to, to give uh, to the things that God has called you to give to. And whether that's the people who are dependent on you or the people who are further abroad, then you should, you should be generous. But, yes. Okay, I feel like I'm talking way too much. Um, the, the other part, what level of financial security is okay? Uh, the level of financial security is okay is the level uh, where you are not worshipping financial security and you're worshipping God. And that changes. It changes from person to person. Uh, for some people, it might be, you know, like, when, when you've got $10 in your bank account, you're like, yeah, I'm secure. I'm okay. Anything can happen now, and I'll, I'll live with my $10. Probably, if you do that, you probably need to go and see a financial counsellor who will teach you that $10 will not mitigate against any particular problem, uh, except for needing to buy Maccas. Um, so, you know, when you've got to focus on, on, on what's going on in your heart. Where is your treasure? And if you find that you are amassing money and it's just a small amount of money, but you're focusing on that and you just want more, then maybe it's time to say, I'm actually going to give it away because I'm trusting in the money while I'm trusting God. Or for others of you, say, you know, like, you know I, can, I can have quite a large amount of money sitting here and I still know that it's God's and I'll be willing to give it away in the flesh. You've got to know what's going on in your heart. I can't tell you. You've got to spend time um, praying, asking the Holy Spirit, looking at your motivation and, uh, and seeing... Uh, what God guides you to just tell Check your heart. Are you worshiping? Once you worship God, then your level of financial security is okay. All right, do we have one last one? Yeah, okay. Oh, it's a line question. Every week there's been a line question. Where is the line between using saving, sorry, using saving your money in a righteous way and idolizing it? That's, I, I feel like I probably answered that a lot in the last one. Uh, you've got to check your heart. Are you, are you worshipping your money? Are you worshipping your safety? Are you trusting yourself or are you trusting God? That's, that's, really, that's really the whole question. There is the, the line, it's, it's so hard to, to, to find any lines. Your whole heart is God's. And when you find bits of your heart which aren't God, then give it God's, then give it over to God. So the line is. Anything that divides your heart. Get rid of it. Give everything to God. Alright, I'm going to say a prayer and, uh, and then we're going to be led in some singing. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we know that money is a big issue. And we know that we want to trust money. But we want to trust you more. So I pray, excuse me, I pray that you'll help me to be someone who trusts you and not money. I pray you will help us to be people who know that you are our security and not money. I pray that as we wrestle with the real problems of how much is too much, of figuring out where our treasure is, where our heart is, what our ambition is, that you will give us your spirit to see clearly so that we can be trusting you and you alone and seeing everything else we have, all our time and our money 
our savings, our lack of savings, and we give to them and we say that we can love you and serve you better. Amen.